to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It has been a week since Pentecost and a week since our country erupted with a lot of protests around in various cities. And I want to dedicate today's message to all those who are out there seeking justice and peace in our world. We have two scripture readings for the day. And so I invite you to just take a moment and center yourself and hear the words of God. Our first scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 disciples. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people are not drunk as you suspect. After all, it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our second reading for the day is from the gospel of John chapter 20 verses 19 through 23. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, 
Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As God sent me, so I am sending you. Then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Here ends all our readings. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, you are the spirit. You are the spirit of this earth of wind and flame. And you enter our bodies with every breath. And we share you with the world with every exhale. Help us, oh God, to hear where your wind is blowing. Lead us, guide us, and help us to follow. Open our hearts and our minds and fill our well with your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, I used to take the bus up to Seattle every weekend for dance rehearsals at the Pacific Northwest Ballet. And I remember having a conversation with my parents fairly regularly. Them telling me to sit towards the front of the bus where the driver could see me, making sure I was always in their sight line. And then if there wasn't a seat in the front, then I needed to stand at the front. And I remember the fear I felt standing at the bus stop downtown as men would leer at me as a young woman. I remember the safety I would feel when someone who at least seemed trustworthy would stand next to me as an act of solidarity and allyship. When I started to drive, I would leave rehearsals and classes downtown at night, and I would make sure that my keys were between my knuckles as I had been taught. And I know the conversations that I've had with my male friends, conversations where they said they didn't quite understand my discomfort, asking, why don't you take the bus? Or why do you always carry your keys in your hands? And just like they didn't quite understand my fear and the pain of my experience as a woman, I also don't fully understand the fear and the pain of our African-American siblings. I know the fear that I feel walking around a neighborhood at night, but I do not know the fear a black man feels while jogging through a predominantly white neighborhood in broad daylight. But the fear and pain I have experienced can at least give me empathy for his experience. I have heard a lot of white folks talk about how white privilege and white supremacy don't quite make sense to them. They're big words and big topics. And the folks I've talked with have said that they themselves have had to struggle, that they're not privileged at all, that they have had to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, that they have experienced hardship and the feelings of being forgotten by their local government or by the nation's government, that they have felt forgotten by our culture too. And so I want to acknowledge that yes, while white folks like me may know what it feels like to struggle and we may be familiar with pain and hardship, but we do not fully understand the pain and hardship of people of color. 
white privilege does not mean that a white person hasn't struggled. It means that that person hasn't struggled because of the complexion of their skin, because of the color of their skin. And there are certain privileges, especially in the United States, afforded to people like me whose complexion is white. So I will never know what it is like to have the conversation with my son about how to interact with police in order to not be killed. I will never know what it means to not be called for an interview simply because of how my name reads on a resume. I will never truly know what it is like to walk through a grocery store and be followed. But just like I have my own experiences of discrimination, that does not mean the discrimination of my siblings of color is any less real, any less potent. But I pray that the fear and the pain that I have experienced and that others have experienced can give us empathy. This past weekend, and by the time you're hearing this, it'll be the previous weekend, my husband and I attended the protests in Milwaukee. And the news we watch will always portray a particular bias, and that's important to remember. But I can tell you my firsthand experience. What I saw and what I heard was deep pain and deep grief. Shouts and echoes of the words, we can't breathe. There were speakers who talked about how they cannot breathe because this could have been them. This could have been their son. This was their brother. It was both peaceful and prophetic. The organizers of the protest worked incredibly hard to provide quality speakers, including representatives from local government and local nonprofits. Most of the signs said, Black Lives Matter. I can't breathe. Stop the violence. And justice for George. One woman standing near me kept echoing the words, one love, one love. We are one family. What the folks at this protest wanted was justice, unity, and repentance. After all the organized speakers had taken their turn at the microphone, which had been wiped down with Lysol between each hand that passed it off, a man stepped forward and led the crowd in prayer. And he asked people to throw a fist in the air as he prayed. I couldn't hear the words well at that point because we had moved to the outskirts of the crowd as more folks gathered, but I felt the Holy Spirit light up. Tears flowed and amens echoed. And then people started to pray with their feet as they walked into the street. Police officers had blocked off the roadways in order to protect the protesters. They knew the route and set up so that they could make sure people were safe. And so together, spread out, we marched, block after block. Cars honked in solidarity, and people stood on their front stoops and clapped and yelled, I can't breathe. Even as I speak this, my eyes fill with tears because of the pain that was so palpable on that day. Because of the spirit that was so palpable that day. 
A black man would spontaneously shout, I can't breathe. And the whole crowd gathered around would respond, I can't breathe. The Holy Spirit was alive. Perhaps if you were watching on the news, you might have been like the disciples we heard about today in our story from the book of Acts. Perhaps you were like the ones who watched and said, what does this mean? Or maybe you watched the news and you were like the other folks who witnessed the coming of the Holy Spirit and said, they are filled with new wine. But on that day of Pentecost, when Peter heard these things, he responded saying, they are not drunk. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are the young men and young women who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who will dream dreams and who will prophesy and lead us into a new way of being. I don't know if you've ever been present at a vigil or at a large funeral, but there's an energy in and among grief, especially large groups who are gathered to grieve together. I remember the goosebumps on my arms and on my neck at a funeral this past fall for a young man who was just a freshman in college who died in a hazing accident. The sanctuary overflowed as young girls in dresses filled the pews and young men in suits lined the aisles. Folks who were just making their way into adulthood, grieving one of their closest friends. It was standing room only all the way into the narthex. The church was full. The grief and the Holy Spirit were palpable as the room cried and prayed and sang together. The church wasn't just full of people. It was full of the Holy Spirit moving through them and their grief. And this is what the protest was like. It was people filled with pain and grief and with the Holy Spirit that desires justice and equity and peace and life. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is the giver of breath, not the taker of breath. The Holy Spirit that is the giver of life and not the taker of life. And we know too well that life has been taken again and again. And again, St. Paul reminds us that when one member of our body is unwell, the whole body is unwell. This is our reminder that we belong to each other and must pay attention when one part of our body, the body of Christ in the world is unwell. Right now, many of us are keenly aware that our siblings of color are unwell because of the racial injustices of this world. I would not be doing you justice or the gospel justice if I did not acknowledge the flames of racial tension and unrest that have ignited across our nation. And it's not just erupting because of the unjust killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. It goes much deeper than that. Our whole system is unjust. And there's a great deal of injustice around the world, not just in this country. I send out an email each week to my church folks. And this past week, I 
I sent them an email and I included a piece talking about the systemic injustice facing our siblings of color. And in particular, I pointed out that just locally, African-American folks make up only one quarter of our county and yet account for over half of the COVID-19 deaths. This is Milwaukee County in Wisconsin. And so the phrase, I can't breathe, is not just the phrase of George Floyd, but of all those who are suffering from this awful disease and not able to get the help that they deserve, the health care that they deserve. There is a great deal of injustice in our country. And what's happening right now is shining a light on that injustice. And we need to look. We cannot turn away as much as we might want to. And so on the day of Pentecost, the day in which we celebrate as a church, the coming of the Holy Spirit or Ruach, as it's called in Hebrew scriptures, the breath of God. We remember those who say, I can't breathe. This breath of God, the Holy Spirit, is what hovered over the chaotic waters at the beginning of creation. Ruach is what breathed life into Adam's lungs, bringing his body to life. The breath of God, the spirit of God is connected to this story that we heard from the gospel of John to when Jesus sends the disciples out into the world saying, so just as God sent me, so I send you. They're being sent out into the world to breathe new life into God's creation. One commentator I read as I prepared for this, put it this way. The disciples are being sent out to look for ways to breathe the spirit's freedom, openness, and love into the lives of others. They are to become the inhalation and exhalation of God's spirit. The spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of change. Another commentator wrote that Pentecost is what shatters our usual understanding of how life is to be lived and organized from the perspective of God's reign of justice. And this week, our usual understanding of how life is lived and organized, especially how life within the United States is lived and organized, has been shattered. I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to ignite something within you, to ignite within you the fire of anti-racism, of justice, of peace, and of love. On this day of Pentecost, we witness the experience of the Holy Spirit, a fire that fell on each of those who were present. Each person, without discrimination of what they looked like, where they came from, what language they spoke, who they love, each and every one of them experienced the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And together, both individually and collectively, they experience God. And the powerful thing about this is that no one was engulfed in the flames. No one was engulfed in the flames. 
It did not take away from their diversity and the uniqueness of who they are. It did not ask them to assimilate, but it allowed them to stand there in their differences and experience God together. Jesus Christ was all about bringing people together. I often describe his followers as a band of misfits, a bunch of people from all different walks of life who never would have been sitting around the same table had it not been for this man, Jesus, bringing them to that table. And not once did he ask them to change who they were or to assimilate. He honored their gifts and their differences. They needed the tax collector. They needed the zealot. They needed the Cyrene. They needed the women. The gospel message that Jesus preached and that the disciples carried forth was one of unity. Not in spite of differences, but in celebration of them. As another commentator I read wrote, Unity within God's plans and purposes is always an open unity. It reaches out and embraces others, no matter how different, and provides an environment in which they can flourish, nurture uniquenesses and differences, and yet communicate in and through the spirit of love and justice. My friends, that spirit of love and justice is what is blowing through our world today, calling us towards unity, towards honoring each and every part of the body of Christ as equal and important and valuable and worthy of life. Worthy of life and of breath. After this whole experience of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon each of the disciples and all those who were gathered, Peter gave a sermon. And after he spoke, this is what is written in the scriptures. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And so when you find yourself asking, what do I do? What do we do? Peter gives us the answer. Repent and be baptized. Repentance, especially, is what we are being called to today. It should go without saying that racism is a sin. Racism is a sin and a grave one at that. If this is a topic that makes you a little uncomfortable or if it makes you squirm in your seat as you listen to this, I get it. I understand. It's uncomfortable for me too, but the gospel isn't meant to be comfortable. It's meant to help us partake in and help realize the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to today. We pray for that each week with the Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
the Holy Spirit is calling us to follow in that way, to bring forth that on the earth. Sin can be defined as missing the mark, as missing the mark. And another pastor I've spoken with recently defined it as anything that does harm to community. And I think we can all agree that racism of all forms is both missing the mark and doing harm to our community, both locally, nationally, and globally. Jesus Christ, and now Peter, call us to repent in the face of sin. We are called to repent. And repentance is not just apologizing or seeking forgiveness. In Hebrew, repentance is represented by two verbs, shuv and nacham, which translate roughly to to return and to feel sorrow. And the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which roughly translates to to think differently after, meaning to have a change of heart and mind. And so I want to hold those things. That it means to return and to feel sorrow, to think differently after, and to have a change of heart and mind. In his book, Prayers for a Privileged People, Walter Brueggemann wrote, We hear the story of the wind at Pentecost, holy wind that dismantles what was, holy wind that evokes what is to be, holy wind that overrides barriers and causes communication, holy wind that signals God's rule even among us. The winds of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, they are calling us out to repent, to feel sorrow, to have a change of heart, to feel the sorrow and the pain of those who experience racism day in and day out, to hear their stories and listen, to feel empathy, and to use that to guide us to have a change of heart and a change of ways to change our world, to truly repent the sins of racism, we must feel that sorrow, both the sorrow of those who have been harmed and the sorrow we feel for having partaken in a system that harms them. And then return to the ways of God where all people are seen and valued where each breath is valued. We must have a change of heart and to start thinking differently and acting differently. As many activists say, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. It is time beyond time that we start valuing each life, each breath as holy and beloved. At the protest, many of the speakers use the phrase Ashe, which Wikipedia defines as a West African philosophical concept through which the Yoruba of Nigeria conceived the power to make things happen and produce change. 
Some relate it to the phrase amen, which means so be it. It is in and of itself like a prayer for change. Those who say it and pray it and use it, those who say it are praying and prophesying for change, praying and prophesying that the hearts of those largely in power will repent. That the spirit may move through them and bend them towards justice. The Talmud, which is an ancient Jewish text, says, Great is repentance, for it brings healing to the world. I believe with all of my being that healing is possible. That healing is taking place each and every day and will take place if we pay attention. If we pay attention and listen to the stories and experiences, to the pain of our Black Indigenous people of color. If we listen to them, if we breathe with them and remember that we are all that breath of God, healing can take place. Whenever I write a sermon, I ask the question, what is God doing? What is God up to? And most of the time, my flippant answer is, I don't know. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what God is up to. And as I sat to write this and speak this, I also admitted that I don't know. I don't know what God is doing. And in those moments, I close my eyes and I do my best to feel it. To feel where that wind, the Holy Spirit is blowing. So I can try to get a sense of what God is doing. So I can try to get a sense of where the wind of God is blowing. And right now, as always, God's wind is blowing in the direction of justice. The Holy Spirit is blowing in the direction of justice and righteousness and healing. And if I just put up my feet, if I just stop grinding my heels into the ground so deeply and so firmly, if I stop doing that for just a moment, then perhaps, perhaps God will pick me up on the curtails of God's wind and I will get to be a part of that justice and healing. And so will you. And so will the world. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.